Hey guys, Abel here, and in this video podcast, I would like to give you an update of my carnivore diet experiment, which now I have been doing for four weeks. If you're completely in the dark as to what the hell I'm talking about, I would encourage you to go back and check the first episode that I've done on this topic. Um, that one I published after doing this for two weeks, and now I just arrived just yesterday on Wednesday. I came up to the four-week mark, so it's timely to do an update. And in that previous episode, I basically outlined all my rationales and reasons for doing this. So I won't go over all of those once again. So if you're confused, just go back and check that one out first and then come back and check this one out. And what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to give you a brief update as to where I'm at with things and what my plans are as for going forward whether I'm continuing with this diet or I'm actually stopping after four weeks. And then we're going to go into a little bit of a Q&A because a lot of you guys were cool enough to submit a lot of good questions in my SSD closed Facebook group, which all of you are welcome to join. It's linked in the show notes below. So go ahead and join the group. And overall, the first thing I would like to say is that I was really pleasantly surprised by how positive and constructive most of the feedback was that I've gotten under uh, or, or on my first video that I've done on this. Uh, a really intelligent discussion unfolded for the most part in the comments section. There were a couple of comments which were that of, you know, <laughs> typical YouTube, stereotypical YouTube quality. And really the only comments that kind of upset me were those which were calling me out on points which were specifically addressed in the podcast episode. And that was a little bit upsetting considering that I explicitly asked in the intro of the podcast that only call me out on things if you actually listened to what I had to say. But hey, it was a 45 minute plus podcast episode. So I am respectful of people's short attention spans these days. And I would like to reiterate a couple of things that I said in the first episode. Um, and that is kind of a philosophical underpinning of this experiment, but I think these are principles that are useful to keep in mind in whatever you're doing, in fitness, but in life in general as well. And that is, I really do firmly believe that there's a time and a place for everything, almost everything. Uh, in your working life, you might have times when you're skipping on sleep to finish some job assignment or in your training, there might be times when you won't be able to lift heavy. You will have to do some occlusion training and lift light weights because you're injured. Or in the case of dieting, you might be doing something crazy like me and eliminate something which otherwise should be healthful foods and recommended, such as fruits and veggies, and you will be only eating meat. And does this mean that working is more essential to life than sleeping? Or does it mean that occlusion training is superior to heavy training? Or does it mean that meat consumption is superior to eating a high fiber diet rich in fruits and veggies? Hell no. It only means that there's a time and a place when a certain method or an experiment is appropriate to address a specific problem. And as long as you're doing these things with the mindset of, okay, I, I have a problem and I'm trying to solve this problem or address this problem with this method and this experiment that I'm doing, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The issue starts when you become too attached or identify with a certain method and then you start preaching that as the panacea or the end all be all that everybody should be doing. And to be honest, this is one reason why 
I was actually reluctant to reach out to Sean Baker, who is kind of these days the most famous famous figure in the public eye behind this whole carnivore diet thing. I wanted to have him on, on the podcast, but then I kind of decided not to reach out to him, not to say that he definitely would have accepted the invitation, but I listened to a couple of podcast episodes that he appeared on and some of the messaging uh, that I've heard from him were kind of along the lines of kind of saying in a politically correct manner that, well, I'm not saying that this is how everybody should be eating, but yeah, I am kind of saying that. And I do find that to be problematic. So I really do think that it's important to not be dogmatic. However, I think this concept of not being dogmatic applies in both directions. So I think that if you're doing something which science says should work for most people and that should make people feel good and make them healthy, and it clearly doesn't work for you. In fact, you're suffering from it. And then you're doing something which science doesn't necessarily support as being optimal and it makes you feel better and it stops your suffering. Then it's just silly to discard that other method because this matter of you said that fruit and vegetable consumption should be beneficial. And this is one issue that I have with the hardcore science crowd here and there is that they get so caught up with the hard data that they start ignoring simple signs such as how do I feel and how is my health changing? How are my energy levels? How is my libido? How is my digestion? And I think it's just simply stupid to discard something that clearly is beneficial for you, at least at that time, because citation one, two, and three. And, and then not to mention some of the comments that I've gotten, which were along the lines of, well, you're stupid because these experts says this, this, and this. I mean, whenever I hear something like that, my first reaction is, yeah, and my daddy said that Santa Claus is real. Like, come on, dude, like have a little bit more critical thinking than that. And not to become too ranty here, but one thing that I'm always trying to remind myself of, or this is kind of a mantra that I'm always reminding myself when... I catch myself becoming too romantic about a method is imagine how dumb you would feel if you kept doing something in the name of science, which clearly didn't work for you. And you kept discarding something which could have helped you in the name of science. Imagine how stupid you would feel if you kept doing that. And then after a couple of years, maybe a really prestigious publication would come out confirming that, well, you know what, that thing that you kept discarding actually really could have helped you and it can really be beneficial for people in your shoes. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of your favorite experts would kind of shift their perspective or their stance on the matter and say, well, you know what, we were wrong. These things happen every once in a while. It's rare, but they do happen. And then you would find yourself thinking, well, I kept suffering because I wanted to be, you know, consistent with my scientific thinking and it was all in vain because I was actually wrong. So basically short summary of what I said so far is keep an open mind and don't be dogmatic. So with that, let's give you, or I, I want to give you a short update on where I'm at with this experiment after four weeks. So the first thing is I am now fully adapted to this whole all meat uh, diet. Basically, I've stopped experiencing basically all of the negatives, which I was experiencing for a while. And now I am starting to experience most of the positives, which people are hoping to experience when they embark on this. So 
If you remember, after two weeks, I reported that my digestion and bloating issues improved drastically after a couple of days even, but I still had some times of just feeling completely lethargic and having these zero energy moments where I just felt like sitting on the couch all day and not moving. Now those periods are completely gone. So at this point, my energy levels during the day are fully back up. Back up. I, I have these moments which I would normally have on a car-based diet where I just feel energetic and just want to get up and move. For example, in the evening, one thing I really like to do is put on some music and walk around in the neighborhood and just get into this nice flow state. And I just walk and walk and walk. And I definitely didn't have these periods in the first two weeks of doing this diet, but now I do have them again. So I experienced no energy level detriments whatsoever and my energy or performance in the gym, which didn't really take a hit at all to begin with, but now it's completely as it was. In fact, I'm hitting new PRs. Even high rep work is completely doable for me. Um, Berge Fagerli, for example, said that his strength was fine on this diet, but high rep work suffered somewhat. So work capacity suffered somewhat. I did not find that to be the case. In fact, just the other day, I did some high rep chin-ups on rings, which um, with ring chin-ups, 15 reps was pretty much as high as I could go. And in general, the six rep target was my sweet spot. And there I could progress really nicely uh, up until about 30 kilos, at which point my elbows just gave out all the time. Um, and the other day I tried doing some bodyweight chin-ups on rings and I was surprised that I could bang out 20 reps with real good form. You know, the ring touching my chest at the top and a full stretch at the bottom, which is definitely a personal record for me with those. Um, and, and interestingly, also my fullness in terms of muscle size is, is back up. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell how much bigger I would look with carbs. But if, you, if you've seen pictures of me recently, I posted some on Instagram and in my Facebook group. And I'm not the biggest dude, but I mean, it's definitely not like I'm super flat. You know, in the beginning, I definitely experienced uh, some flatness and some depleted look. I was lean and pretty vascular, but I was kind of depleted. And now I look pretty full and round. And um, my body weight is strangely low. I mean, not strangely, I'm probably the lack of glycogen and less water being held is, and, and also the lesser gut content is um, reflecting in my body weight. So if I look at pictures of myself about a year ago, I definitely look bigger now at the same body fat, uh, but my body weight is still lower. So I'm hovering around maybe 80, 81 kilos now. And last year at this body fat percentage, I was maybe 82 kilos. So probably if I was on carbs again, I would be maybe two kilos heavier or so, or maybe three, but we will see when I introduce carbs, uh, once again, what else? Yeah. The question of, do I plan on keeping on with this diet or am I actually stopping after four weeks? You know, to be honest, my mindset is kind of along the lines of since I, mostly experiencing all of the benefits now. And I finally stopped having basically all of the negatives for, so for example, I have zero cravings for carby foods at this point, which I think it's nothing magical. I kind of just simply stopped remembering how those tasted like. <laughs> so for the first, maybe two weeks, 
I definitely had these times when I was just thinking about, like, oh man, it would be so nice to have some berries with sweetener and cocoa powder. And yeah, now as I'm saying this, it I, I surely would love eating those, but, but I don't really remember how those taste like. So I'm not craving them at all. And I'm used to, fully used to eating this way. And I guess you can get habituated to anything that you're doing. So since that's the case, and since my energy levels are fully back up and I'm no longer adapting to the diet, so at least not in a noticeable level where I have fluctuations in my overall well-being, I'm kind of thinking, why not ride this out for a little bit longer and actually enjoy the benefits that I have gotten myself to. And also, to be honest, because at this part of the world in the Balkan area, this is such a hugely meat-loving culture. I'm socially not limited whatsoever. So whenever I'm, I'm going out to eat in a restaurant or I'm invited to some lunch or dinner to someone's place, basically every meal that they have here is structured in a way that they have a big appetizer salad, but they also have these cold um, sliced meats, which I can eat, cheeses, which I can also eat. And basically every main dish have a huge meat component so I can eat those. So I'm not limited culturally and I don't suffer any detriments in my social life and um, well-being in that regard. So I have no urgent pressing need to stop with this diet now. So probably I'm going to ride it out for another few weeks. But at this point, I basically gave myself the unconditional permission to stop whenever I want to. Also, a couple of other positives that I enjoy at this point is, for one, and I touched on this in the previous episode, the emotional neutrality about with regards to food. So, you know, I do enjoy eating and I think the enjoyment of food and your meals is one of the most fundamental hedonic pleasures, which we should be able to enjoy in a balanced fashion. And I still love eating, you know, and I enjoy eating this diet, but because it's fundamentally a pretty bland diet and you're eating the same things over and over again, you just kind of lose interest in food after some point. And this is something that I definitely enjoy that, or at least it's an interesting experience, you know, that I like joking about these people that, are, that will say things like, oh, I forgot to eat or, well, I, I'm keep under eating because I'm just too lazy to prepare food. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But in this diet, I kind of noticing the same patterns in myself that I'm just like, yeah, I could eat, but do I want to get up and prepare some food, uh, whatever, or I just simply forget to eat sometimes. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting experience to, to go through. And the other thing, once again, is the energy levels and the stability, stability of your energy levels. So, you know, I'm a pretty carb tolerant person. I would say I handle carbs pretty well. Um, these huge energy crashes that a lot of people talk about on carb-based diets when they just crash and they fell asleep, uh, fall asleep after eating a big carby meal. Those are not very typical for me. Um, but, you know, in the middle of the day, especially if you didn't sleep well the night before, you can definitely overdo just food volume. You eat the big meal with a lot of fiber and carbs and protein. And after that, you just feel like falling asleep. And on this diet, I definitely can basically eat as much as I want at all times. And your energy levels just stay at the same level all the time. You know, 
I, you would be surprised some of the crazy stuff I'm doing. I'm eating a, a huge fat, high fat, high protein meal with some fatty steak or fish or something. And then I'm in the gym half an hour later with no issues. And you would think that this will be a disaster, but no issues whatsoever. And from a productivity standpoint, this is definitely really nice. So I'm curious to see how well this or how much this will change on once I go back to eating carbs again because now I'm just so used to feeling the same way pretty much all the time and not having dips in my energy levels, at least due to food, that um, maybe I'm in for a huge surprise once I'm eating a carb-based diet again. So those are basically the updates that uh, I wanted to tell you about. And with that, let's get into some of your questions. So the first question which came in, and I love this question, and I think it's a great one, is regarding the ethics of this whole diet and how do I feel about it, considering that my podcast is called Sustainable Self-Development Podcast. So how do I feel about the sustainability and the overall ethical implications of eating a ton of animal foods and, and a ton of meat? And, you know, in general, if you're listening to carnivore diet advocates or people who are doing this kind of diet, they will kind of give you a philosophical rationalized, rationalization kind of uh, approach to this and why it's okay to be eating this way and why it's not an issue. And to be quite honest with you, this is something that I am concerned about. Um, you know, I, I am a, a person who cares both about animal welfare and the environment and eating a lot of animal foods doesn't make me ecstatic about myself. Um, in general, I like to have a good amount of variety in my diet in terms of my protein sources. And I like to, I wouldn't say completely minimize, but limit my meat consumption for sure. Um, my approach from an ethical perspective to eating meat and animals is that if as humans, we have the potential, the capacity and the chance to be healthy, thrive, look good and feel good without eating animals and without killing, then it's the ethically superior thing to take advantage of this opportunity as much as we can. Now, the reason why I'm not being generally too vocal about this and I don't call people out on this, well, for one, is because I don't follow this to a T. But secondly, it's because I realized some time ago is that if we are trying to pride ourselves on being ethically completely pristine, then sooner or later, someone will be able to point out some inconsistencies in our ethical or in our behavior from an ethical perspective, because pretty much no matter what we do, uh, the way this economy is set up, whether you're looking at the food market, the clothing market, whatever thing you're benefiting from down the line, somebody is probably going to suffer an unfair disadvantage for your benefit. So this is true, whether we're talking about the food that's on your plate, the clothes that you're wearing, you know, maybe the shoes that you're wearing, someone had to work for really shitty wages for that shoe, or maybe some child slavery had to take place for that. And the same thing basically happens with food. And basically the thing with that is that at some point, no matter how ethically pristine we are trying to be, at one point or another, all of us draw the line in the sand and say, you know what, I'm as ethical as I can be within my means, but at this point, 
yes, my own well-being and convenience is more important to me than whatever entity, human or animal, suffering for my well-being down the line. So, and some people make the argument that, well, if you're eating plants, still a lot of animal die for that and habitats have to be wiped out for that. And that's true to some extent or large extent, still to the best of my knowledge, if you're eating a plant-based diet, the net killing that has to take place for that is still lower than if you're eating meat. And not to mention, you know, the whole factory farming that's going on. I mean, honestly, that's so horrible that it's hard to even talk about. I mean, if you just, just watch one of those propaganda videos, which are propaganda, but they are very much the reality. If you just look at one animal and how much that animal has to suffer on a daily basis through its whole life. And if you think about the fact that literally billions of animals suffer that way every single day, their entire lives, and this has gone on for decades, and it will keep happening for decades. I mean, it's it's hard to even fathom. If this wasn't the reality, I would think that this is some, you know, weird Black Mirror episode or something. And I think that pretty much the moral obligation for all of us is to support that industry as little as we can. So in general, I'm never buying uh, conventional meat and those kinds of products. Um, but still eating a ton of animal foods right now is something that doesn't make me feel too great about myself. And this is one reason why I do not keep, uh, do not plan on keep doing this forever, no matter how good it makes me feel on a physical gut function and whatever level. Okay. Next question that came in, which was also a really, really cool question. And that is how did I get accustomed to the lower food volume that I had to eat on this diet? And that's a really good question because this was something that I definitely was concerned about before trying it. If you listen to my episode with Berge Fagerli, you can hear me asking him about it. Like, was he not concerned about that or was that not an issue for him? And I definitely was one of the champions of high volume eating and just eating a lot. You know, I have a really big appetite. I have seen bigger eaters than myself, like Menno Henselmans. I've had the chance of being in the same sushi restaurant as he was. And I was just amazed by the amount of food that that guy can put down. Um, and I heard him mentioning that on a diet, he will eat six kilos of food. I will typically end up at around four or five kilos of food. And on any given day on a plant-based diet or a carb-based diet, at least I will never eat below three kilos of food. And you know, my food consumption in terms of total quantity got reduced a little bit once I really dialed in on mindful eating and I got more in tune with my satiety signals, but still I have a large appetite and I eat a ton of food. Ever since I was a kid, you know, my mother was always amazed by, you know, I was this lean kid and she was like, how the fuck do you fit all of that in? Like, where does all that food go? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just hungry. So I was definitely concerned about how will I tolerate the much lower food volume by eating these high fat, higher caloric density meals. And honestly, it's hard to describe how, but it's just somehow not an issue. And it never really was, you know, initially I was, because I was concerned about this, I was trying to make up for the lower food volume by consuming a lot of fluids with my meals. But honestly, I found over time that even that was unnecessary. And, you know, I was trying to kind of make higher food volumes work with this diet by eating lower cuts of meat so I can eat a larger quantity of those. 
but still I found that I just feel better by eating fattier cuts of meat and lower food portions and just move on. And I guess if I had to hypothesize why this is the case, it's probably because you're eating these high protein, high fat meals and the amino acids and the fatty acids that hit your system just are a great signal for satiety. And an interesting thing is that the degree to which you get instantaneous energy boost from eating these high protein, high fat meals improved over time. So you would kind of intuitively think that you're eating these high fat meals and sure fat is satiating, but more so in the long term, whereas carbs kind of hit your system and they signal fullness and make you feel energetic right away. And that's true to some extent, but over time I felt that the energ energizing effect from these high fat meals were a lot more akin to my prior high carb meals that I just felt really good and energized from them right after consuming them, which is, which improved over time. So I found that maybe it's my system or the body just getting more efficient at metabolizing, metabolizing fat and protein rich meals and making use of their energy content. It's hard to really hypothesize, but that's what I would kind of think intuitively. Um, but you know, in general, food volume was just not an issue. And with that, I can also say that if it's not an issue for me, then it will basically not be an issue for anybody. Next question, which was definitely one of the more common ones is what are my macronutrient ratios on this diet? And you know, this is interesting because this is still something that I'm playing around with and tinkering with. And one thing I can tell you for sure is that if you're trying to hack the system and eat only lean cuts of protein and minimize fat intake on this diet, which I definitely tried doing when I was still cutting, that is just a surefire way of feeling like death <laughs> and have zero energy. And this is the insidious part of this diet is that because it's so appetite suppressing, these zero energy, really lethargic periods can sneak up on you if you're not careful because lean protein and fatty protein in the short term are basically just a satiating. But in the hours following that, if you didn't eat enough fat, that will definitely bite you in the ass. And that's kind of the benefit, if you will, of a carb-based diet is that if you're, let's say, eating only a thousand calories and given where you are with cumulative energy balance over the course of the weeks and your body fat percentage, if that thousand calories is just a ridiculous deficit for you, you will feel that really quickly because you will be so hungry that you will want to eat your own foot. On this diet, if you're eating really low calories and only protein, then you will not feel hungry per se, but you will just feel like death all of a sudden. And then you will think like, What's, what's, what's going on? I'm not hungry, but I have a hard time getting up from my chair. And then you will be like, oh yeah, for the two prior days, I didn't eat anything but protein, which is terrible in terms of a general substrate for your body as, as, as a fuel source. So definitely eating enough fat is critical. And I would say that my baseline is at least 120 grams of fat and at least 200 grams of protein, which is, I mean, that's like 2000 calories. That's nothing. That's little, that's definitely aggressive cutting macros for me, but that's the baseline. And then I increase protein and fat, uh, to reach my maintenance or bulking macros. And I'm still playing around with the proportions of those. So I would say that till now I found that a really good kind of bulking macro range for myself is 
200 grams of fat and about 300 grams of protein. But I'm playing around with those ratios. And to go back to what I was saying about the insidious nature of this diet, of it being so satiating that you don't notice that you're shooting yourself in the foot by not eating enough fat, it's also hard to gauge how much fatty protein you need in a given meal because from because you're never really hungry on this diet. And because fatty protein and lean protein is almost as satiating, it's sometimes hard to tell like, okay, how much fatty protein should I have in this meal? And how much lean protein should I have in this meal? Because I'm not really hungry, so I could do well on both. So it kind of comes down to just having these set rules. Okay, you know what? I'm going to have at least 800 grams to a kilo of fatty protein serving with at least 15 to 20 grams of fat per 100 grams. And that's a hard rule that you're just adhering to. And then you will titrate in your lean protein to as a, as a filler basically for additional satiety and based on hunger. So basically what I'm doing these days is I have at least 150, 120, 150 grams of fat from fatty protein sources such as fatty beef or salmon. And then I titrate in my lean protein sources as a filler for additional satiety. Okay, next question, which is the price and how expensive this diet is. Uh, this is what I can tell you. Uh, for one, giving you absolute numbers will not be very helpful for you because how much I'm paying for things in the Balkan area is not going to be very reflective of how much you're going to have to pay in Germany or the Netherlands or the US. But I would say that if you're eating the type of carb-based diet that I was eating, then this diet will not be any more expensive. So, you know, if you're eating the kind of the cheapest bodybuilding diets that you can construct, which is, you know, chicken, tuna, whey protein as protein sources, and then rice, potatoes, oatmeal, and cereals for carb sources, and then butter and oils for fat sources, that will be pretty cheap. And compared to that, eating a ton of meat will definitely be more expensive. However, if you're eating the type of diet that I was eating, because I'm a picky as dude when it comes to my food choices, which is a ton of fruits, veggies, berries, those sorts of things, then this diet will not be more expensive. And regardless of what your budget is on food, you can always get smart with where you're getting your food from. So if you're going to a regular grocery store and you're getting your beef and salmon and those sorts of things from there, that will be pretty expensive. But if you're going to a market, a farmer's market or something in the weekend, maybe not a farmer's market, those tend to be expensive, but some local market, which, you know, sell domestic stuff, then you can get a ton of meat and a ton of seafood for really, really good prices. So if you go there, do bulk shopping and, you know, you're going there on a weekend, pick a good local market and buy a ton of seafood and meat, then you can get by on a really, really reasonable uh, budget. And if you're also including things like dairy and eggs, which at the moment I do include some dairy, but not no eggs because in, here in this country, it seems like I'm sensitive to eggs, then um, you can get by even cheaper. I mean, eggs are one of the cheapest high quality protein sources you can get. And under that same breath, uh, I might as well address how, what I eat typically and what my food choices are for the most part. My fatty protein sources are beef and salmon. Salmon can be pricey, but again, if you're going to a good market, then you can get salmon in, in a pretty reasonable price range. Also frozen seafood is pretty doable, but fatty beef and um, salmon are my favorite fatty protein sources. And then shrimp, 
chicken, turkey, and those sorts of things, or my lean protein sources, which I get in as kind of fillers and just titrate them in for satiety. And I eat at least 800 grams to a kilo of fatty protein per day. And if I have some cheese, which I do sometimes when I'm in a location where I won't have access to meat easily, then I will just reduce my fatty protein from meat and fish sources for the day. Next question, which was also a good one, which is, is it beneficial? Yes. No, but seriously, um, well, that was actually the question, but I'm going to answer in a way which will actually help some of you guys. So the better question perhaps is who would I recommend it to? And I would say that in general, and I fully agree with this, you want to eat, you want to see what you can get away with. You know, if you're doing well on a varied diet, you can enjoy all kinds of different foods and everything is working well, then just keep doing that. I mean, don't restrict yourself from anything good that mother nature has to offer you just for the sake of restricting it. I mean, honestly, even if some really extreme elimination protocol has some benefits, some obscure benefits, which you won't even notice because you're doing completely fine. Why would you take on something extreme just in the hopes of optimizing your health to the absolute most degree? You know, we're we not just here to be healthy. We are here to enjoy ourselves. So um, if you have issues such as what I was talking about in the first episode of doing this, uh, which is digestive issues and you just have a really hard time tolerating uh, fiber, then I would say give this a shot and it, it can be really valuable, um, especially with gut stuff. I mean, I, I went into all of this, but basically with any type of problem that you have, basically you can take two routes. One is go to a doctor and try to get help from them. When it comes to the gut stuff, doctors are really just as much in the dark from my experience as we are. And the other one is to try to manage it yourself. And there are multiple ways in which you can manage, for example, a gut issue. And depending on where you are, different things might be more appropriate. If you're eating just a ton of junk foods and, you know, packaged stuff, you know, with all kinds of substances, which you don't even know what they are, then maybe an easy way is to just start eating a healthy whole foods diet with plant foods, fruits, veggies healthy fats, all that kind of stuff. And there's a good chance that you will be completely fine. If you were already eating a diet like that, and all of a sudden a lot of plant foods and fiber-rich foods, which earlier were working fine with you, all of a sudden are just giving you a lot of trouble, then maybe give this a go. And another question like this came in about the lack of fiber and how I'm tolerating that. Well, in my case, that was exactly the goal to eliminate fiber for a while and perhaps, I don't know, starve out some of those mofos in my gut, which were feeding on fiber and were giving me problems. Um, a related question to this, which came in is how did I find my digestion improving over time? I would say that on this diet, I experienced two stages before. And this seems to be the case for other people as well, which one stage was a great improvement in my bloating issues while having kind of irregular tendencies on the toilet. For example, having some loose stools or just not going to the toilet at all for a day or two. And then the next stage was a much more regular behavior on the toilet. So being pretty regular, kind of as normal, not having loose stools anymore and still having the lack of, of bloating. So kind of these were the two stages that I experienced so far. So right now my digestion is really good. I'm, I have no bloating and I'm on the toilet and just having a quick job, which is over in like 
one minute, you know, it's, it's much faster than it would be on a carb-based diet because, you know, you just have less stuff to, to get rid of. Another good question is, how do I plan on reintroducing carbs? And in short, progressively. So kind of just like transitioning back to your old training program after being on a rehab routine with an injury, for example, you don't just want to jump back into benching heavy or something. Uh, if you had a shoulder injury, for example, or squatting heavy in Olympic lifting shoes and whatever, uh, pretty considerable forward knee travel if you had to rehab from a knee injury. You want to do it gradually and progressively. So I'm very much planning to introduce back foods in a systematic fashion so I can really pinpoint if something is causing me trouble. So first, I'm probably just going to start with those foods which for the past few years worked great for me and stopped working after some time. So probably I will start with cucumbers, tomatoes, which were my favorite veggies, although they're fruits technically, but uh, let's call them veggies for the sake of this and strawberries and maybe raspberries or cherries maybe or maybe even just strawberries and cucumbers and tomatoes see how i'm tolerating those if they're fine maybe then i'll introduce blueberries as well um, maybe i'll try some peaches again so i will be very very gradual and um, you know systematic i don't want to ruin all the progress that i just made over the course of this month an interesting question that came in regarding, did I find that I respond to different calorie amounts than before on a carb-based diet? And um, some people, for example, Berger Fagerli said that he was eating a lot more calories and still was able to lose weight compared to what he was stuck on before. And I didn't find anything like this so far, but granted, I was only bulking for like two weeks up until now. So I haven't bulked enough for long to see what kind of calorie amounts you're res I'm responding well to. But so far, it seems like a 3,000 to 3,200 calorie average, weekly average, is a pretty good lean bulking amount for myself. One thing I can tell you for sure is that the subjective experience is much different. So if you're eating in a small caloric surplus on a diet like this, you just lose interest in food altogether. So you will, even if you're a big eater and you still have to kind of watch your calories on a bulk, you will probably find on a diet like this that you will be tending more towards the side of behaviors that or psychology that you will hear from these hard gainer types of people who will say, oh my God, I have to work so hard for getting in all my calories. I kind of feel like that on some days where I'm like, I wake up full, pretty much zero hunger, and then I eat even less hunger, and then I still have like one or two meals left during the day. So that definitely does happen. And it's also a lot easier to consistently be in a surplus and not have weird things mess with your head because you always wake up kind of dry and lean and non-distended gut and whatever um, because you have no carbs or any kind of foods that could give you bloating, uh, which if you're bulking, you are always have a pretty full gut content. Your glycogen levels are topped off. Then on some days, you can look pretty funky even if you're lean. Mike Isretel, for example, just posted a video of himself on Instagram where, I mean, he looks like a, no offense, Mike, but he, he, he just looks like a pregnant lady. And if you look at his shoulders, his chest, he's probably pretty lean, but just on a high carb bulking diet, you can look pretty damn weird if you're bloated. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But maybe in a few weeks, I will actually find that I do respond to different macronutrient amounts. Berger mentioned, for example, that his body temperature increased drastically and 
probably that was one reason why he was able to lose weight on 3,000 calories, whereas before he was stuck on 2,000. And to me, this probably will not be the case because my body temperature tends to go pretty fucking high anyway if I'm in a caloric surplus. Like my girlfriend is touching me and she's like, how are you so warm? I'm freezing here. So my body seems to be working pretty well in that regard, but we will see in a few weeks. It's an interesting question. Another question, and maybe let's close this uh, Q&A with this question, and uh, I'll probably do another episode in like a few weeks, so uh, keep submitting your questions. This is not the end. I will keep answering whatever uh, concerns or questions you have. But one question came in regarding, would I recommend this to anybody um, occasionally, even if they're doing well on a high-carb diet? I kind of answered this before, that if you're doing well on something, then by definition, don't change it just for the sake of changing it. If you have gut issues, then give this a go, I would say, depending, once again, on what is the suspected cause of your gut issues. Um, what I would not recommend is to just jumping into this here and there, just for the sake of jumping into it. So... The thing is, is that just like a keto diet, you're either going into this all in or you're not doing it because if you're kind of just jumping in for it for two weeks, then basically you will experience the adaptation period. You will experience most of the negatives and you will not experience basically any of the positives yet because you will still be in that adaptation period. So either you commit to this for an extended period and then you're saying, okay, this is what it is. This is what I'm doing. It's an experiment but just occasionally jumping into it, don't do it. What I will say though, is that what I am planning to do, even when I go back to eating carbs, is that occasionally, if I feel like um, I overdid carbs and I went through some bloated periods, I will probably just do a week here and there or a few days to just get rid of all the gut residue which may have accumulated. For example, if I go to uh, a wedding or some elegant event and I want to look really crisp and hot or whatever, hot within my own means with a, some tight shirt or something, I may go, uh, you know, all meat for a couple of days prior to that event um, for vanity reasons. That might be something to experiment with, but that's kind of just a temporary cosmetic um, alteration basically that you're doing to Basically, that's just a symptomatic treatment, not so much an extended protocol to alleviate uh, the root cause of a specific problem. So guys, I think this is all I had to say. Uh, see you again with a similar episode in a few weeks, maybe two weeks, maybe four weeks. Uh, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm stopping with this experiment, whether I keep doing this, I will keep you updated. If I'm introducing back carbs again, I will definitely let you know how that goes because I think that will be very, very interesting for a lot of you guys. Keep posting your questions, your comments, even troll comments are welcomed. Let me destroy you in the comment section and join the SSD Facebook group. Uh, you're welcome to join. It's a closed group, but uh, you will get an approval. If you just submit your request to join, it will get approved. So don't worry. And um, whatever questions, comments, concerns you have, just let me know. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to my channel yet, just uh, just do it. It's a, pr it's a pretty damn good ass channel. So this is all I had to say, guys. See you next time. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a comment and subscribe if you watch this on YouTube. If you listen to this on iTunes, please leave a rating to help this stuff grow. SoundCloud and Podbeam, you can just follow me to be notified on future episodes. And to be a contributing member of this podcast, join the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group where you can drop ideas about future podcasts. I very often ask my listeners for tips and advice on who to 
get on next. So if you're interested in getting into discussions like that, be sure to join the Facebook group. And if you don't want to go through the searching process, just click one of those links in the show notes slash video description. It is all there. All right. Thanks for hanging around up until now and see you next time.